He is risen. The tomb is empty, right? Don't you love the fact that in the text that we're going to look at today, um, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. So if you have your Bible, we're not going to have that up on the screen. We're going to do a bunch of other texts. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open up the, the Gospel of John. We're going to be in there. We're going to read several passages out of that. Um, so you're going to want to keep your Bible, uh, at least keep a finger in there so we go go come and get back to that text. But uh, one of the things that I was overwhelmed with this week um, as I was reading through the text, and as, as I was preparing for this morning, was that the disciples just didn't get it. Um, this morning for them, this third day morning when uh, Jesus has testified and, and all these things, these magnificent things happened for them, it was a morning of fear and doubt and confusion for them. That's where they were at. That's where they woke up to um, because Jesus was dead and they saw him crucified. And, and so I just, be, before we get too far into our celebration and, and the joy of those things, I, I want us to have in mind that that's where they start from. That's, that's where we meet the disciples this morning. That's where Jesus meets them as he begins to reveal to them the truth of who he is, the glorious, powerful truth of who he is. Any of you ever doubted God in, in your life and his working, the things that, he, that he's taking you through? Have we ever questioned His sovereignty and His purposes in our lives? I remember a specific story. Some of you have heard it, but and I won't bore you with all the details, but um, I went to South America, Colombia on a missions trip, and I met Tim Van Dyke. He was our missions trip leader, and um, just a, a neat, neat, godly man, and I was deeply impacted by his heart for people and his heart for ministry. Um, and shortly after we left uh, that specific place, uh, he was captured by the Colombian guerrillas, a military force down there that was fighting against the government. And um, within that next year, they'd actually executed him. He lost his life. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't a happy ending to this. Uh, and I was in Bible school at the time, and I remember being very angry with God. I, I was like, what are you thinking? How could this be the end of a man that's doing great work for you on the mission field? Um, and, and I was just really, really, really struggling and frustrated with how he would work there. And I could only imagine that for the disciples, this was even more so in their current state. Waking up that morning, the third day after watching him be executed on the cross. But the tomb is empty, and there's great hope in that. Um, we're going to read the story and then just jump through a couple of passages as we consider um, just the details of what happened this morning and how that impacts us today and how we should respond. Would you read with me in John chapter 20, verse 1? <clears throat> now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, 
and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he, might, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. I love in the text, as we consider their, their, their response to this truth, their response to this morning, um, if you read in the Gospel of Luke, which we're going we're gonna to look at Luke uh, 24 here momentarily, but if you read in that text, it's very interesting that, that the disciples themselves, when the women show up to tell them what's going on, and there was more than just Mary Magdalene, which we're, we're going to look at in just a second, but, but when they show up to tell the disciples about what's going on, they just dismiss it as some kind of crazy story that the girls are making up today. That's a little nuts, don't you think? Thank you. Who in their right minds dismisses a, this, this, this group of women? And like I said, there was more than just Mary. If you look in Matt, uh, Luke 24, verse 10, and verse 10 says this, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanne and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But they just thought it was some idle tale. And they dismissed it. In their discouragement, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't receive this as being some level of truth. And I thought to myself, wow, what, what a place that they had to be that when all of these women showed up and said, we have seen this, we are testifying to this being real, that they did not believe them. I love how John says it in verse 9. He says, but they did not understand yet. They did not understand the Scripture yet that said that he must rise from the dead. He, he must be resurrected. They missed it. Do we ever miss it? Do you guys ever read the Bible and you're just like, huh, missed it? We do that, don't we? And, and so I, I want to caution us not to be too hard on these guys because they really do miss it. In fact, Jesus, first the first time that he testifies uh, to his death, burial, and resurrection, he actually does this with the Pharisees and the scribes. Look at Matthew chapter 12 with me. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41. Verse 38 says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We know that the, that the priests and the scribes and the teachers of the law, they didn't, they didn't get it. They actually rejected it. They had, they had all of this, the, the word and they had the prophets and they, they knew about Jonah. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. In, in, in the, as far as the scriptures were connected, but they didn't understand that that was Jesus who was fulfilling these things, who was going to complete and fulfill these prophecies. 
not only did the the, the uh, priests and uh, scribes and Pharisees not get it, but the disciples missed it as well. Um, turn to Mark. We're going to be there one of these days in our weekly uh, Sunday studies. But Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33. Jesus here is talking to his disciples. And in verse 31, he said, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. You know what that means, right? He said it simple enough that they could understand it. He made it very clear. This is what's going to happen. And what was what was one of their responses? <laughs> I love Peter. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not set in your minds on the things of God but on the things of man. You see, Peter, he's like, Lord, you don't understand. You've got, we've got bigger plans for you. You have more important things to do than to die. So you can't do that. I just, let me lay out for you what God actually has for you, Pete. Can you imagine that conversation between Peter and Jesus at that minute? Jesus is trying to explain to him what he knows is coming. And, and rather than being in awe that Jesus is testifying to what the future holds for him, Peter's response is, no, 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 <laughs> God, that's not a good plan. We don't do that, do we? We would never, we would never do that to the Lord, would we? Jesus, that's, I know that's what you think you need to do. I know that's what you think I need, but nah. Not today. He tells them again in Mark 9, verses 30 and 32. He says this, They went out from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Interestingly enough, after the second time that Jesus prophesies his death and his resurrection, that the disciples are arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Their response to Jesus testifying to what was going to happen and this truth that was coming, this, this prophecy that was written about and, and referenced in Jonah, their their response to that was, uh, hey, Jesus, who, who's going to sit at your right hand? Who, who do you really like the most? A third time, Jesus is teaching them this truth in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says this, And when they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will, be con they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. 
And if you follow through in the text again, the second time, the disciples begin to argue and debate and ask Jesus who's going to be the most important. In the midst of Jesus preparing them for what was coming, placing within their grasp the truth of who he was and the ability to withstand even the challenges that they were facing at this time, their focus, their hearts were turned in on themselves. And so we have to ask, and I love in the text that we get to see through John and, and, and through the other disciples' accounts of this, we get to see how people responded to this truth of a risen Lord, to this, this empty grave testimony that the girls come back and start testifying to. Let's take a minute, and we're going to look at a few of those. I, I love the first response in, in John chapter 20. It's, it's Peter and, and, and John, right? What's their first response? As they hear the truth of the testimony, these gals are testifying to them what they saw, and somewhere in their hearts there was some kind of connection, there was some hope, a glimmer of hope, I think, that caused them to run to the grave to see what's really going on. The rest of the guys were saying, oh my goodness, it's just... I don't know if they said old wives' tale. Does that exist at that point in time? I'm not sure. But whatever it was, they were discarding it. They were disregarding everything that they were testifying at that moment. But Peter and John ran to the tomb. Something sparked in them that, I don't know if it's curiosity, that hope. Maybe it was one of the times that, G, that they remember Jesus saying, and on the third day I'm going to rise. Maybe it was one of the times that he was teaching them about these things that they, when he did talk about that, could it be? Could it be that this Jesus that we've been following, this Jesus that, we, that we've been lamenting for the last three days is truly the Lamb of God, is truly the Messiah, the one that we had hoped for? And so they ran and looked and saw. hit me this morning as I was rereading the text again. Curious, isn't it, that they went home? And I was thinking to myself, what else would they do? What do you do in that moment? That was, that was just the only thing they could do. But I thought, why did, why did John tell us that they went back home? Just an interesting thing. It, I, I don't know, you guys may be as twisted as me, and I think to myself, but Jesus, wouldn't I have done it better? If you would have used me in this setting, wouldn't I have responded better to you? Because you know, I'm, I'm the good Christian type, right? Do we ever think that as we read through the, the, the testimonies of these disciples and, and what they've gone through? Do you guys ever think, man, what a bunch of clowns. How could they miss this? I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to allow... God's choice of the disciples to be exactly what it was meant to be. L look at Mary Magdalene's response to this. I, I love her response. I love that we get to see this moment in verses 11 through 18 of John chapter 20. You'll have to look this up again in your Bible. Verse 11 says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she sto stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have, where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. I'm moved when I read this story by the fact that Mary was there grieving, and she was desiring to do right by her Lord. She was desperate uh, in, in this grieving process to care for him, and she didn't recognize him when he showed up. She didn't recognize uh, his physical appearance. And, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know if if God was veiling his eyes, we'll see this in a second. In, in, uh, the, on the road to Emmaus, we're going to look at those two disciples. I'm not sure if God had just covered their eyes a little bit so they couldn't see it at that point, if it was because of their own grief. or I, I don't know what the reason is. But somehow when Jesus utters her name, nothing more than her name, there was something familiar about that name and the way in which he said it. There was something personal and intimate that happened for her right then with Jesus. That she responded, teacher, I know who you are. And then she ran back and told the disciples, I've seen him. I've seen the Lord. He's alive. I wonder at times if... We don't struggle in our relationship with the Lord because we're not that close to Him. We wouldn't actually recognize if He uttered our name. We wouldn't recognize Him speaking to us because we don't know Him all well. What a challenge for you and for me to, to listen. I love the fact that He also he asks her, who are you seeking? Who are you looking for? Kind of would have been obvious for most people, right? In fact, we're going to see that in this text. Turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 24. You guys are going to love this because I wrote the wrong verses down in my notes. So I'm going to give you the right ones, but I was really confused in the first service. <laughs> That's not lining up. So we're not going to have that this time. Verse 13, road to Emmaus. Look at what happens here. Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, he, that they had seen a, even a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What an amazing time. What an amazing interaction with Jesus. I, I know, I don't know if any of you guys have said this, I've every now and then said, man, I wish I could have been there for that Bible lesson. Right? To have Jesus himself explain, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets. How incredible that would be. In fact, if you go back and look at the prophecies, they start in Genesis 3. Wrap your mind around that. When Adam and Eve were still on the earth, the prophecies of a coming Messiah began to be given over 3,000 years ago. More than 3,000 years ago. We start seeing the prophecies laid out. That's incredible. The cool part is that you and I have these prophecies written because Jesus just went through and explained what they had already in their possession. And I don't know if this guy's my favorite, but he's probably the one I identify with the most, right? Poor Thomas. Our, our last example of... of an individual who's having a hard time believing that everything's going as Jesus says it is. Look at verse 19 through 29 with me. Uh, we're going to read verses 19, and just I just want you to catch kind of the atmosphere of what's happening with these disciples, where they're at. So all these amazing testimonies are happening, and all these people are sharing what God's doing. And, and look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciple. Uh, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and, my, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Brothers and sisters, Thomas is such a great example for you and for me. I don't know if you've ever asked for God to make it more clear what he's trying to tell you to do or what he wants from you. Anybody ask for it just in writing? Ever? Lord, just give me a note. Uh, I mean, it's funny to me, right? Because we kind of have all this. But somehow for you and for me, we want something specific. We want that sign. We want God to show up and say, here I am. Now listen, and now you can believe. And yet, I want you to take a second and think about this. Part of what we do on Easter is we celebrate the living God, the fact that Jesus has risen from the grave, that that grave is empty. But there are great things that we can look at. This isn't just a hope. This isn't just just an act of faith, a blind act of faith. There is evidence that is supported by this. We're doing a study uh, called uh, Cold Case Christianity. It's a Los Angeles detective. He, he, his profession was actually doing cold case, solving cold case murders or deaths. And in an attempt to disprove the gospel, he, I don't know if he just had a pesky friends that hung out with him that kept talking about Jesus, but he wanted to, he wanted to put that to rest. So he took his skill set of being a cold case detective and he applied it to the four gospels. The man's a believer today. And he wrote a Bible study and a book lining out how the evidence that is here in the text that we have is profound, and it would, it would absolutely hold up in a legal court case today with no question whatsoever. It's an amazing study. It's, it's a great read. But I want to just lay out for you a couple of the details of what this truth is, some of the facts that we get to wrestle with. There are more than 500 people who have testified that they saw him alive, who saw him crucified and testified that they saw him alive. More than 500 people. What did they testify to? His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. They saw him live. They were impacted by that. They watched him betrayed. Because some of them abandoned him right at his greatest time of need. They saw the crucifixion. And many of them testified to the fact that he is alive and well today. Don't you love it? They had their doors locked and he came in anyway. Twice he referenced that in the text. What kind of blew their mind. At one point, in fact, in one of the, one of the texts, they say that they thought he was a ghost. The disciples had a hard time believing this, but they testified to what they saw. Their testimony was to the fulfilling of over 300 prophecies that we see scattered over the time of more than 3,000 years being written by several different authors in different time periods, and it's absolutely incredible. There is physical evidence that we can prove these things to have existed, these things to have Happen. But the problem isn't the physical evidence, you guys. The problem isn't that. It's our hearts. It's whether or not we want to believe it and receive it or we want to reject it and turn away. 
His disciples had every reason to doubt. The truth is, I'm convicted in my heart, I have less so. Because I have the whole story as given by the Father in His Word. To believe that Jesus Christ is alive today and that He, by the grace of the Father, by the, by the direction of the Father, is interacting in my life for what's best for me. What's best for His children and, and for those who follow. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing to me. I just love the fact that Jesus went to His disciples. He didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't go to the scribes. He didn't take them through and explain to Him what they did wrong or how they missed it. Of ever there was a time He could have come and said, I told you so. It was right there. But He didn't. He went to His disciples who were hiding in fear, who were locked behind the doors in their home because of what they'd seen happen in the weeks before this. What does this prove? I, I love this passage. I love this verse, John 3.16. Only a loving God would set these kind of things in motion. Only a loving God would go to the extent and the effort that he did to prove to a doubting people, to prove to a group of people who amidst all of the great uh, uh, plethora, if you will, of evidence and proof, the testimonies and all the things that they saw and still doubted. Even his disciples who were told three specific times that we see recorded. That's all we know of that we see recorded. That they heard from Jesus himself that this is what's going to happen. But it's a God that has this kind of love. And John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, the, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive and well today. And because of that, you and I have the hope. We have the ability to believe and to trust God in the midst of life and the difficulties that we experience. I want you to see what, why John wrote the text that he wrote. The, the final verses in chapter 20 say this, and this is John explaining to the people that are reading what his purpose for writing this account was. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. This is verse 30. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This truth, this testimony, this gospel, it is for you and for me to choose to believe or reject. That's what it's here for. That's why they wrote the testimony. That's why John wrote this, is so that we would be able to read this account and make a decision about what we're going to believe about who Jesus Christ was and is today. So what do we do with this? Don't raise your hands. Please don't raise your hands. But is there a possibility that one or two of you are here because you were invited by somebody of great influence in your life that you couldn't say no to? There's a really good chance that somebody actually showed up that way. I'm pretty sure the first servant had, had, had a few. I tell you, that's not what God brought here. That's not why we celebrate Easter. 
We're not checking off a box. Because coming to church, as wonderful it is, as being part of this family, doesn't get you to heaven. Doing good religious things doesn't get you there. Even looking like a good Christian. I mean, not sure how much better looking I could be today in my bright shirt. It's not about this. It's about whether or not we believe Jesus is who he says he is. You know, the disciples met Jesus on a morning, a day of mourning. They didn't start out Easter Sunday, if you will, celebrating and joyful and picking up candy out of the yard. But they went on to live a life of worship that changed the world because they saw Jesus risen. And they left their locked doors and they began to spread the gospel at the cost of their own lives. The fact that Jesus is alive changed how they lived out the remaining days of their life. Do you know that decision is here for you and for me? If this is true, what does that mean for you and for me? If what Jesus has said about himself is true, it should change how we live. It should not change our Sunday attendance. I want you to close your eyes and pray with me this morning. And you do your own work. I don't know what your life's issues are. Don't we're not standing up. There won't be any any weird stuff happening. But I want you to take some time to do the work that you need to do with whatever God's doing in your life today. You may be a first-time visitor. You may have gotten drugged here by your mother or your bride or something along that line. But that's not the reason that you're here is just to make her happy or to make somebody happy. God has called us to do business with Him. So whatever that is, I, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning, just quietly in your own hearts. And if you identify with me as I pray, then you can, you can just pray these words as well in your own heart. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Thank You for the transformation that You do in our lives. Thank You, Lord, that in the midst of defeat and despair and fear, and all of the things that the disciples were experienced because they saw you crucified. Lord Jesus, they saw you buried. And they saw you risen. Father, would you use that truth to transform our doubting hearts this morning? Would you use that truth to change how we live? That we would not anticipate coming to church on Sunday to be Christians, but we would see every morning, every day, every situation, every opportunity as a a chance to praise and worship you. To respond to you and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I believe. Lord, I may not always understand what you're doing. There are even times where I question Is this really the best for me? Is this really what it's like to have your good? And yet, God, the risen Savior Jesus Christ says that it is. The fact that you have overcome the grave, 
Lord Jesus, that you willingly went to the cross and overcame death and sin and then asked us to follow you. What hope and what joy that brings. God, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my disobedience to turn to you, to follow you. Lord, I pray this morning if there are those here that that they've come just to check off the box, God, that you would meet them in a profound and meaningful way. Lord, if there's those here that have heard an Easter sermon more times than what they can count now, and this has just become a religious experience, a religious event, God, that you would meet them in a special and personal way today. That you would use your word to transform and soften our hearts. God, that we could respond like Thomas and say, my Lord, my God, I believe. May that be our response today. And Lord, may you take all the glory in all that we do. Amen.